Dr. Xavier Reese and yielding to a peace that surpasses all understanding. You know, there are some times when you're going to find yourself in places where you don't know how it's going to work out and you're going to have to trust God. I'm going to have to trust God just to see Him work in ways that you have no idea, no concept. And to get in and try to help God at times is the worst thing that we can do. We mess it up. You need to back off. You've got to listen and hear His voice. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. In many of the Psalms of David, we see his mind was both on what he trusted God to do and on what God had done. Knowing what God had done gives David confidence in what the Lord would do. This is a comforting simple truth for all his followers, especially in times of distress. Pastor Xavier has been delivering a verse-by-verse study of the Psalms and continues by unpacking the simple truths of chapter 2 today. Let's listen. Psalm 2. It's a royal psalm, meaning it's messianic. It's prophetic of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. It really introduces the first book of the first 41 because the first psalm is the introductory to the whole thing. Let's go through it. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed. Why do the nations rage? The word rage there is band together. And God basically sees the nations in revolt against Him. It starts as early as Adam. Then you have the Tower of Babel. Then you have Noah. And you can continue from there. It says that the people plot a vain thing, empty, futile. He describes the kings of the earth set themselves, the rulers counsel together, and they're against the Lord's, Yahweh, against His anointed. The reference to the anointed could first of all be for the king who was reigning at that time, possibly David. But secondly, it's against the anointed Messiah, Jesus Christ, who is to come. Interesting that he says, let us break their bonds in pieces. And cast away their cords from us. See, man does not want to be controlled by God. Man wants to lead his own life and do his own thing. He doesn't want to be submissive to God. He wants to be his own God. The response to that rebellion is in verse 4. He says, He who sits on the heavens shall laugh. In other words, the attempt is so stupid. And he laughs. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. God destroyed many of Israel's enemies. They turned their swords against themselves. He sent plagues, pestilence. Man is no match for God. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill on Zion. Verse 6 says, The king who was then reigning, but second of all, the Messiah who was to come. It has a twofold application, the psalm. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Begotten as a man. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and God was the Word. And the Word became flesh, and we beheld His glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. God, who at different times and different manners spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken unto us by His dear Son, 
Philippians 2, 5 and 7 says that he didn't think it robbery to empty himself of his glory and take on the form of a servant. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh, Romans 8 says, to condemn and put sin to death in the flesh. But he was sinless. Why? Because he was conceived of the Holy Spirit. It's interesting that once a child is conceived, the blood of that baby never transfers from the baby to the mother. All nutrients, all waste, everything does, but never the blood. Sinless. And so, today I have begotten you. You find that quote in Hebrews. God calls a son God. The son calls a father God. The father and the son call the spirit God. You tell me the Bible doesn't teach the Trinity? You'll never find the word Trinity. You'll never understand it completely, but it's all over. So you better just believe it. <laughs> He's never called us to understand it, just to accept it. Ask for me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. Now, verse 8 is taken out of context very often by missionary groups. And they take verse 8 as their promise that God will give to them the nations, the heathen, as an inheritance. It's out of context. This is the promise to the Son when He returns to set up the millennial kingdom, the thousand-year reign. This is not a missionary promise. He's speaking primarily to the king. And so he did to David. He gave all the heathens of the land. But even that was not complete because they compromised. So the ultimate fulfillment is through the Messiah who will reign. He will return. We will return with him. We will set up the kingdom with him. We will reign for a thousand years. All those who have, by God's grace and by some way, made it through the tribulation and great tribulation and have passed the judgment of Matthew 25, the sheep and the goat, they will be allowed to enter the kingdom reign to repopulate the earth. We will reign with Christ. And so this scripture is for that time. Notice that he says, You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. You find this quote right here in verse 9 in Revelation 2.27, Revelation 12.5, 19.15. When Jesus will rule with a rod of iron during that thousand years. In other words, people will have to live holy. Everybody will have to go up to Jerusalem once a year or they get no rain. Feast of Tabernacles. Anybody does anything wrong, hit them like a pot, crack their skull. That's what he's talking about there. He rules with the rod of iron. But interesting that even though they have had a thousand year of beautiful paradise, perfect example that after the thousand years and Satan has let loose, many follow Satan. So much for the sociologists that tell us if we have a good environment, we'll turn out good. <laughs> so much for the psychologist. Now therefore, be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in Him. So verses 10 through 12 really is a plea to repent. You want to be wise, kings and judges? Be teachable. Listen to God. Kiss the Son, a practice of the heathen to kiss their idols as a form of adoration and commitment. In other words, be one with the Son. Repent. Don't fight against Him, but get on His side and fight with Him. And so he offers repentance. 
But in that day when Jesus returns and he sets up the kingdom and they all will be gathered in the valley of Megiddo, there will be no repentance offered. There will be no second opportunity. For it will be over with. And so you have Psalm 2. Psalm 3 is the first to bear a title and it's David. He says, a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. The psalm is with and for instruments to be accompanied with it. In many of the psalms, we will find that. Some of them will have inscriptions in them. Others will have just evidence of it. Uh, it's closely related to Psalm 4. Psalm 4 is an evening psalm. Psalm 3 is a morning psalm. Some see in this Psalm 3 prophetically the sorrows of the Jewish remnant that will go through that tribulation. In Psalm 3 through 7, they say, depicts that sorrow. And then Psalm 8 really climaxes as all is put under Jesus' feet in verse 6 of chapter 8. Now in the first two verses, we have his distress. Verses 3 and 4, his trust in God. And verses 5 and 8, his faith lived out. He says, Lord, how they have increased who trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God, Selah. Now the word Selah, we believe that it means pause or meditation or an interim between because it's accompanied with instruments and also with singing. So we, we believe that it's mostly dealing to do with that musical accompaniment. But notice that in, in these first two verses, he is relating to the time when Absalom and his son chased him out of Jerusalem. You can find that in 2 Samuel chapter 15. And so he's speaking here in the psalm when his son betrayed him. He brought him back into the kingdom, if you remember. But he wouldn't speak to him. And so Absalom set David's general's field on fire to get his attention. And he went to make intercession for him and he got audience of his son to the father. And then he allowed him to move around the city. And the scripture says that Absalom stole the heart of the people. And so he expresses his distress as many are against him. In verse 3 he says, But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory, and the one who lifts up my head. And so his trust in God. Remember, Abraham was afraid after he went to rescue Lot and God appeared to him in Genesis 15. He says, I'm your shield, your great reward. What are you afraid for? <laughs> I mean, he's our protector. As long as we are living righteously in obedience and repenting as we blow it, he is going to take care of us. And he expresses this confidence. I cried to the Lord with my voice and he heard me from his holy hill, Selah. I lay down and slept. I awoke for the Lord sustained me. And so it's an evening psalm. Interesting here in verse 5 that how is it that he can sleep when there's so much distress? Because it's the peace that passes all understanding that Paul speaks about in Philippians 4, 7. As we go to God and we take our complaints to Him and we commit ourselves to Him. You remember Peter in Acts chapter 12, verse 6 where um, James had just been killed by the sword by Herod and he was in the jail there with uh, two centurion guards chained to him. What was he doing? He was sleeping. How could he be sleeping? Because Jesus had prophesied that he would live to be old. When you know what God told you, you don't have to lose sleep. But when you don't know what God has told you, you're going to be pacing the floor. So what does it mean? That means you've got to have a relationship with Him. You've got to walk with Him. You've got to talk with Him. And then you've got to listen. 
and hear his voice. I will not be afraid of thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you have struck all my enemies on the cheekbone. You have broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing is upon your people, Selah. And so his confidence and his trust in God in the end of verse 7 and 8, his courage. Salvation means deliverance. He's confident in God and what he's going to do. You know, there are some times when you're going to find yourself in places where you don't know how it's going to work out and you're going to have to trust God. I'm going to have to trust God and allow him to see, to just to see him work in ways that you have no idea, no concept. And to get in and try to help God at times is the worst thing that we can do. We mess it up. You need to back off. Now in Psalm 4, it is a evening psalm, an evening prayer. It's a psalm of David again to the chief musician with string instrument. In the first verse, he gives his acknowledgement of God's relief. He says, Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have relieved me when I was in distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. Interesting. He uses this past experience with God and his faithfulness to relieve him, to come and plead for greater relief for whatever he is going through. That is the benefit of walking with God, having a heritage with God. That you can look to the past, no matter how gloom it looks in the present, and know, you know, God, you've got me out of tougher jams than this. You've always come through because you walk with Him. He says, How long, O oh, you sons of men, will you turn my glory to shame? How long will you love worthlessness and seek falsehood? Selah. And so he rebukes the ungodly. But know that the Lord has set apart for himself him who is godly. The Lord will hear when I call to him. We are instruments of God. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, Paul says. Be angry and do not sin. That sounds familiar. Ephesians 4.26 Don't let the sun go down in your wrath. There's nothing wrong with getting mad. If it's for a righteous cause, but don't stay mad, then you'll sin. You get in an argument with your wife or husband, you better make up before you go to bed. You'll wake up worse and not rested. Don't let the sun go down in your wrath. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. Search your heart. Don't take it for granted thinking you're okay. Say, Lord, search my heart. See if there's any wicked way within me. Meditate. Let God speak to you. Listen to Him. So often we think that praying is just talking, but... The evidence is right on our face, two ears and one mouth. The ratio speaks for itself. And we need to hear God's voice. Offer the sacrifice of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us any good? Lord, lift up the light of your countenance upon us. Pessimist. Oh, the Lord's not going to come through. You have put gladness in my heart more than in the seasons that their grain and wine increase. I will both lie down in peace and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. He says, Lord, the only time I'm more happy when you come through and when you deal with me than all these guys when they bring in all those crops. Kind of what Job says. Didn't Job say, I esteem God's word more than my daily substance? I mean, we eat, it's okay. You need it. But... If you're not going to be walking with God and needing God's word, then what's, what's, what's the sense of living? 
you're going to walk away from God. And you need to put a priority in God's word. Man shall not live by bread alone, Jesus said, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so he commits himself to God. Psalm 5. This is a morning psalm. Verse 1 through 3, you see the psalmist seeking God. Something that we need to take note of. In verses 4 through 7, he declares how sin is hated by God. In Psalm 8 through 10, he declares the dependency on God for leading him in the judgment to come on the ungodly. In verses 11 through 12, God's blessing on the righteous. He says, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Again, David is the author. With string, not a string instrument, but with a wind instrument, the flute here. And notice he says, Give ear to my words, and then consider my meditation. Not only listen to what I say, Lord, but examine what's in my heart. Because sometimes you and I don't know what to pray for, do we? The Spirit makes intercession for us at times with groanings because we have one weakness. We do not know what to pray for. And sometimes all we can do, we run our words and Lord, we say, Lord, you know. And it's like groaning. All right, Lord. And He says, the Spirit intercedes. And He knows what's best for me. His will, His purposes. Give heed to the voice of my cry. The word cry there speaks of continuous crying out to Him. Sometimes we feel that all we have to do is just come to the Lord one time. If we study the life of these men, they spend time coming to God over and over again. God desires us to persevere in prayer, not to get discouraged. Jesus asked His disciples to pray with Him and they were asleep. He says, could you not watch with me at least one hour? He says, truly the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is impotent. We have to depend upon the Spirit of God. Because it's not in us. Give heed to the voice of my cry, my King and my God. For to you I will pray. My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct it to you and I will look up. How do you start your day? With toast and coffee? And running out the door? Or do you spend time with God before you leave your house? You need to put the armor before you go out to battle. It's up to you how long and how much you read. I'm not so interested of the amount. I'm interested in that you do spend that time. And then go out. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. Habakkuk the prophet says that he is so pure that he cannot look upon evil. It means with condonance, with acceptance. He has to judge evil. And so God never makes compromise with evil. That's why He's called us to obedience. That's why He's given us His word so that we can follow His word, not our own opinions. The boastful shall not stand in your sight. You hate all workers of iniquity. You shall destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. The man that's always conniving, the man that's in it for himself, that includes women, not just man in general. But as for me, I will come into your house in the multitude of your mercy. In fear of you, I will worship towards your holy temple. Notice something very important that I think some Christians have lost sight of today. First, he recognizes his 
privilege of coming. He comes in the multitude of your mercy. Mercy is less than we deserve. There is an appreciation. There is a recognition of who He is and who God is. I think some Christians have lost sight of that today. Also, He says, In fear of you, I will worship towards your holy temple. There is a reverence, a healthy respect of God. Worship, bowing down, knowing that He's coming before the Creator, God Almighty. And then His cry is, Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. In other words, if he tries to make those decisions on his own, his enemies are going to wipe him out. But if he allows God to lead him, he will be victorious. He will be safe. And if God would choose to allow him to be killed, then it would be the best. And he wants God to lead him. We are to be led of the Spirit, Galatians says. Ephesians says. Romans says. We are to depend upon God to walk in the Spirit and be led of the Spirit. So that we can please God and we can receive the benefit that we read from Psalm 1. We can be a light to the world. We can be a witness to the world. We can have affirmation and confirmation that we are one with God and God has favor towards us. For there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Speaking of the ungodly. Their inward parts is destruction, wicked hearts. Their throat is an open tomb. They flatter with their tongues. Pronounce them guilty, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions. For they have rebelled against you. There's the theme of Psalm 2. That the carnal mind is at enmity with God. It's hostile towards God. Take the most passive person that you know who does not know Jesus Christ. Moral people. They don't do anything wrong, so it seems. They are hostile towards God. You know why? Because they're not born again. And Jesus said, if you're not for me, you're against me. And so the psalmist here describes the ungodly, the man who does not know God. And he calls judgment down upon them. But let all those rejoice who put their trust in you. Let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. Let those also who love your name be joyful in you. And so joyful is the one who loves his name. For you, O Lord, will bless the righteous with favor. You will surround him as with a shield. The confidence of the psalmist. You do not get this confidence and this trust by Bible study alone. You must walk with God. You must start building your own spiritual heritage. And if you're a parent, you need it for your children. And you need to share those interesting times that God has come through, those dangerous times, those painful times, those tragic times. Don't wait till they're 18 and then say, now I want you to sit down, I want to tell you about this guy called God. It's too late then. And say, sure, Dad. You better start sharing your life and what God does and how He comes through and how He's faithful as they grow so that they can have the relationship with Jesus Christ. If not, you will lose them. The world has a lot to offer. Nothing good, but a lot to offer. And we need to pray for our children. And we need to communicate our faith. And we need to be open and transparent with our children where we can so that they can have a heritage with God. 
Pastor Xavier Ruiz, has been discussing finding favor with God and the blessings that surround those that are His. More simple truths drawn from a verse-by-verse study series of the Book of Psalms. And you can hear this message again, if you like, online, anytime, by selecting today's date under the radio tab at calvarychapelpasadena.com. But you can also request your own copy of today's essential study, Psalms chapters 1 through 5, available on CD for just $4. And by the way, this CD will also contain everything Pastor Xavier shared with us the last time we were together as well. Now, the title you'll be asking for once again is Psalms chapters 1 through 5, or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Again, that's Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And it's helpful when you mention the call letters of this station when you contact us. And then join us for more simple truths from the book of Psalms, right here next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com